morning, church. I must say I'm uh, a bit confused this morning because um, I don't know whether to say Merry Christmas or not. <laughs> it's Christmas Eve, but we're at church. I don't know. So mentally, you know, if you want to accept the Merry Christmas today, then take it from me. And if you don't until tomorrow, then I'll see you tomorrow and wish you a Merry Christmas then. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name's Jordan. I'm a member here at Willow, and it's my privilege to be leading us through God's Word this morning. And uh, do join us if you're a visitor um, for morning tea after the service and also for breakfast uh, tomorrow morning right here. Now let me lead us in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for giving us your Word. Uh, Lord, we ask... Uh, now as we uh, consider what you've told us uh, through the prophet Isaiah, um, through the Apostle Matthew, that we will come to know you better um, through uh, what you show us uh, by your Spirit. Lord, we ask that uh, a light will dawn uh, in our hearts and minds as we uh, come to know who you are and all you've done for us. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, be honest, uh, who's afraid of the dark? Or maybe, uh, I suppose, a better question would be, who hasn't been afraid of the dark at some point in their life? There's something just a little bit wrong, a bit off about darkness, isn't there? We might not notice it, but don't we do anything we can to make darkness less dark? Uh, We're blessed to live in a a time and place where we can rely on more than just the moon uh, to make the darkness go away. Outside, we have uh, streetlights to wander around under, headlights to show us where we're driving, floodlights so we can play and watch sport take place at night. And then inside, we can light up our homes so that rooms can be even brighter at night than they are during the day. And of course, we have screens, lots and lots of screens that we can watch and get lost in all kinds of other worlds through. We have all these ways to fend off the darkness, to make it go away, at least for a while. And when we're little, our imaginations can run especially wild in the dark can't they? As we're lying in bed at night, our young brains ticking over time because we've had too many lollies and we can't get to sleep, our minds wander and we think what forces of darkness are out there waiting to get us. And this scares us, so we turn to lights to ward off our fears. Uh, The light of our parents' bed uh, or stars on the ceilings that we all had at some point to distract us or nightlights so that we know we're not truly in the dark. And these things keep us company until the sun rises and light enters our world again. But the problem isn't really the darkness itself, is it? It's actually about what the darkness is hiding. Darkness obscures our vision. When darkness surrounds us, we become ignorant of whatever might be lurking out there. We don't know whether our very lives might be at risk because we can't see the threat to us. And so we fear, we stress, because the darkness means we can't even see a way out to escape the danger that might be all around us. 
And because of this universal experience, darkness is a very common metaphor for us, isn't it? It's a shorthand we use all the time to describe both living in ignorance and being at a low point in our lives. Now, for example, the Washington Post a few years ago changed their slogan to democracy dies in darkness, basically saying that, you know, we people need to be informed to protect our way of life from the threats out there. And when we've had a rough time of things, we might describe ourselves as being in a dark place where we can't mentally see a way out of the situation. And so when we look around our world, there seems to be a lot of darkness, isn't there? Whether we look out there, or even whether we look in here. We know there's something wrong with our world and with ourselves. And so we're grasping around for lights, political leaders, entertainment, relationships, someone or something to take care of whatever problems we have, or at least help us ignore them. But it doesn't seem to work. Mental health problems are at an all-time high. A lot of people are doing it tough in all kinds of ways. So can we find a sun rising up to bring light to our world? Well, today we're going to be looking at a passage that addresses the world's darkness, both the ignorance of mankind and the low point of mankind. And this darkness is addressed through the arrival of a light. Just as last week, uh, we saw here that Jesus is the light of life for all mankind. Today we'll see that Jesus is our light in the darkness. So do keep uh, your Bibles open in Isaiah 9, that's where we'll be spending most of our time this morning. Verse 1, nevertheless there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah is a book all about God's holiness and kingship and how he shows those attributes in his relationship with his people. And we see that being the case uh, even in the opening of this passage because we see these names, Zebulun and Naphtali. These were two of the tribes of Israel. Uh, they were among God's chosen people. And it so happens that they were the two northernmost tribes of Israel. Which meant they were the tribes that got attacked the most. Uh, whenever a wannabe empire or neighbouring kingdom decided to take a bite out of Israel, they would usually enter through these two tribes. So if you were from Zebulun or Naphtali, life was pretty bleak for you. It was a dark place to be. Because in truth, the world as a whole was a pretty awful place to live for most people. It was dominated by empires of destruction, now, greed was normal, lusts was worshipped, violence was an everyday reality. 
Every sin, every rejection of God's way and dismissal of His commands for how humans are to best live, all of them could be seen in the nations around Israel. They reveled in their sin. They loved it. Even though it would lead to judgment on them by God for their wickedness, it didn't matter to them. They enjoyed these things, so they did them. And this meant when you got invaded by an opposing army who loved sin, you bore the brunt of every foul deed you could imagine. So Zebulun and Naphtali are in a dark place because the world is a dark place to be. The thing is, they're not really innocent victims in all this. As mentioned, they were part of Israel and when you read through the story of the Bible, you find that the Israelites were in a special position. They were chosen by God to be His people not out of any worthiness of their own, but because God wanted representatives in the world, lights to a world in darkness, who would show people the way back to Him, away from their sin. So, God made a covenant with Israel, and He promised in that covenant that He would bless Israel, He would make them a great nation, and they would in turn be a blessing to the whole world. But Israel, in return, would have to obey God and honour Him so that the world could know Him. A world that's filled with sin, that's totally rebellious against their Creator, would look to Israel and see how good their lives are by comparison, how blessed they are by God, and how they respond to God's generosity to them with self-sacrificial love with humility and generosity, with goodness and truth. And the world will turn to God because they'll look at their own lives, how short and miserable they are by comparison, and they'll realise the truth of God's goodness, of His justice, of His love for them, demonstrated through the people of Israel. That was the idea. That was the intention. Israel was meant to show the nations around them what they were really doing, how sinful they were, how terrible the results of their sin were, how ignorant they were of God. And through their lives and their teaching, Israel would guide the rest of the world towards a relationship with God, living in accordance with His commands and being blessed by Him just as Israel was. And it sounds great, but it didn't happen. Not because God uh, wasn't faithful to the covenant, but because Israel was unfaithful. Remember, Israel wasn't special of their own accord. They were as human as everyone else, which meant they too loved sin. From basically the beginning of God's covenant with them, from the beginning of God's covenant with His chosen people, the Israelites would continually turn away from Him. They would worship other gods. They would engage in deceit and violence. They would embrace their lusts and revel in their greed. They wouldn't trust the Lord and they wouldn't worship Him. 
and he was patient with them. He sent prophets to warn them that they were breaking the covenant, but they didn't listen. And so he sent other nations in to punish them, because maybe then they'll see the error of their ways and turn back to him. And occasionally they would for a time, but then they would turn away again, and it would get worse and worse and worse. So eventually God sends the Assyrians who conquer the northern kingdom, including Zebulun and Naphtali. And then later he sends the Babylonians, who exile uh, the southern kingdom, where Isaiah was based. And by the end of the Old Testament, it's plain to see that instead of being a light to the world, Israel, God's chosen people, find themselves crying out to God for their own light, because they are walking in darkness. They're in a hopeless situation. They've lost the land God gave them. They failed their task to be what God called them to be. And they can't stop sinning. How are they meant to be a light to the world when they're just as surrounded by darkness as everyone else? They and all the peoples of the world are suffering under the weight of their own sin the collective rebellion that they engage in. And really, it's no different today, is it? When we look at our world, we see the same things happening. The same violence and destruction. The same lust and depravity. The same greed and gluttony. And so we look around, trying to see if there's a light in the darkness we can cling to, a leader, a saviour, someone or something. Is there anyone out there we can turn to? And scariest of all, we find that darkness in ourselves, don't we? We see it in the things we want kept hidden away the things we don't want others to know about. Our violence and our lust and our greed and all the rest. Our brokenness. There's something wrong with us. We're in the dark and we need a light. The darkness that existed in the world then is the same darkness that exists in the world today. It's an ignorance of who God is and a rejection of the life he calls us to live because of who he is and what he's created us for. But there's good news. For Isaiah says, there is a light appearing, a light seen in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali in the region known as Galilee. The darkest place imaginable for an Israelite, the place where the nations of the world would keep gathering against them, is the very place where a light is dawning. Which means this light will be seen by Jew and Gentile, non-Jew, alike. We couldn't find the light, the burden of sin was too great to bear, on our own, 
We couldn't discover a way out of the misery and death that sin ultimately brings. So instead, Isaiah says, the light has found us. Matthew tells us when Jesus starts his ministry by going to Galilee, he is fulfilling this prophecy. The people living in darkness look at Jesus and they see light. Why? What's he doing? Well, Matthew tells us, he gives us a simple summary of what the light that Jesus brings in the darkness is all about. Verse 17 of uh, the passage we read from Matthew says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. That's it. This simple message is light in our darkness, that we need to and can repent of our sin. We can turn away from our rebellion and we can do it because Jesus has come. God himself, reigning in heaven, has come near to us, has come to earth so that his chosen people, whether Jew or Gentile, can be rescued out of darkness. In his sacrifice, in his death and resurrection, that he was born into this world to undergo, eternal life is offered to us. Like a light switch being flicked on, those who have been stumbling about in the dark, unaware of what ails us, unable to see an eternal hope for our lives, are suddenly brought to awareness of the new reality that Jesus brings and we're pointed in the direction we need to go. A sun rises up to bring light to our life, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the rest of these verses in Isaiah 9 that we read draw out what Jesus is doing show us how he accomplishes this and what it means for us. In verse 3, uh, we read of how God has enlarged the nation, bringing great joy to his people. When this was written, God's people were a tiny little remnant of Israel. But today, God's people, God's nation, is all over the world. Countless numbers from hundreds of generations of humans who have repented and believed in Jesus. And this joy isn't just that the nation of God's people is so large, it's also in how it's been accomplished. In verse 4, we read, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, uh, the Midianites were a great army that God defeated at night time, using only 300 Israelite men, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you, God, have shattered the yoke that burdens them, your people, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Who is our oppressor? Who has burdened us? Sin, death, the forces of darkness 
that keep us away from God have been shattered by Jesus. He liberates us as though from slavery, which is pointing us to when God freed Israel from slavery in Egypt. This is a, a greater victory over darkness than the one of Midian. This is a greater emancipation from slavery than the one in Egypt. This is the greatest, ultimate, complete victory by God for his people. The forces of darkness that surround us have been conquered once and for all. By who? By God, by Jesus. We know that Jesus is the one accomplishing this because we're told that it's him in some of the most famous verses of all of Scripture. His well-known prophetic verse, uh, words from verse 6 remind us of what we saw last week. For to us a child is born, a human baby boy enters the world in the way we all enter the world. For to us a son is given, the divine son, God eternal, is given to us by his father. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. We can't miss that this saviour is a leader, a ruler, a king and prince who is God. We don't need to fumble and stumble around for someone to save us from the darkness in our lives, from the darkness of the world, from the darkness of our hearts. He's right here. He is wonderful, a name only ever given to God in the Bible. He's a counsellor, full of great wisdom. He's the mighty God, the creator of the world. He's the everlasting father. Uh, ancient kings would call themselves the father of the nation. Well, Jesus is that for his people forever. And he's the prince of peace, the one who has ended the war, both our rebellion against him and death's attack on us. In his death and resurrection, he has reconciled man and God. He's inherited the kingship of David over Israel, but now his kingdom consists of God's people, chosen people from across the whole world. His kingdom will not end. His reign is and will be perfectly just and good. This is perfection. This is the ultimate light overcoming the greatest darkness. If you don't know who Jesus is, if this is all new to you, or maybe you've heard it before but never considered it seriously, then let these verses be a light to you. Let this be the moment when Jesus becomes clear, where your life 
when the world you live in stops being shrouded in darkness and you can see everything for what it really is. Without God, we live in darkness. We live in sin and we love our sin. We stumble around knowing something is wrong, but not knowing what to do about it, despite the dire consequences. But at Christmas, we rejoice because Jesus has come into the world as a light, clearing out the darkness, asking us to simply repent of our sin because he the king of the eternal kingdom of heaven has come has died for our sake and has been resurrected for our eternal life and he asks us repent for the kingdom of god has come near and if you do know who jesus is then walk in the light he brings. You are not stumbling in darkness anymore. Your sins, your old life, has been made plain to you by him. So live in accordance with what the King of Light asks of you. Rejoice at the fact that you are part of an everlasting eternal kingdom, a kingdom of justice and goodness, where the darkness has been eliminated, where death has no power, and where we will one day live together in perfection. Know that this will happen. It is guaranteed because, as the prophet says at the end of this passage, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God has accomplished all this. He created the world. He created us in his image. He chose his people. He rescued them. He came into this world as a human. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven where he now reigns. He did all this in accordance with the scriptures, just as we've read today. And he did this in his zeal, his passion, his love and his justice and his goodness and everything that he is. He is zealous for his people and for his name's sake. He deserves to be celebrated at Christmas and at every other day too for the light that he gives and is. Uh, last week, we thought about one of the most famous verses in all of scripture in the beginning but let me close this week with an even more famous verse and its context, where we see the Apostle John speak plainly about what God has done and will do as the light in the darkness that he is. John 3, 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 
This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the way you shine light in the darkness. The way that you are light to us in our darkness. Lord, as we saw last week, you created light as your first act of creation. And you created us, you created humans as your last act of creation. From beginning to end, your creation was good and very good. And you made us to know you, not to be in darkness, ignorant of you and in a hopeless situation, but to be in true, full relationship with you forever. But we rejected you, Lord. We embraced the darkness of sin, of evil, of rebellion against you and your good rule and replaced it with our own desires ruling our lives. We chose slavery to sin, Lord, rather than freedom under you. And so we recognise, Lord, that all of us, without you, are grasping around in the dark, not understanding who you are, not knowing a way out of our situation. But Lord, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus into the world. A child was born, a son was given to us. And this son, Lord, your son, was the one to bring light to darkness. He, the eternal son, who is God, showed us your glory, showed us the way to live, showed us the way to eternal life through his death and resurrection. We thank you for sending him to shine the spotlight on our sin, on our need for you. And so this morning, Lord, we repent. We ask whether for the first time, whether yet again, for your forgiveness for how we've sinned against you. Knowing, Lord, that in Jesus we do have the full assurance of that forgiveness and the hope of everlasting life that he brings. Lord, thank you so much for this grace to us. And we ask that you would speed the day when he returns in glory so that all the sooner we can live in the eternal kingdom under Lord Jesus, our King, who has defeated sin and darkness and who rules in justice and righteousness and who has chosen all those who believe in him to be with him forever and ever. 
Lord, thank you for this gift of life, which we celebrate at this time of year. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.